We'll get everybody in. We'll get started tonight. Thank you for coming out to Root Session number four. And uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We understand that what we are about to read tonight is your word given through the apostles under the power of the Holy Spirit. It has been preserved through the generations that we might know you, the one true God in Jesus whom you have sent. We would know about the enemy, the adversary, how to overcome him, and how to uh, not be deceived by his lies. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given even us Gentiles the ability to know you and to know your son and be a part of the family of Abraham, which are, which are the children of God. So tonight, open our mind to understand the scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a tickle tonight. Tonight we're going to move from God's created order. We have, if you've noticed in the first three sessions, he has outlined his created order for men and for women and for the church and for the church government. There's, he's got a way that he, he plans things to happen. And uh, tonight we're going to delve into the demonic realm. And tonight we're going to see what the Bible says about demons. And are they real? And how do they function? And what does that have to do with the church? We need to be aware of the enemy. Tonight we look at the power and the plan of the adversary of God. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, just looking at the word itself, the word Satan translates adversary. By his very nature, he's the adversary. In other words, you could call him by name Mr. Adversary. That's what his name is. He opposes God. God has a created order. If you've studied Galatians in any detail, it becomes very clear that God has this created order. But Satan has an order too. A way in which he operates. In fact, the Satan's created order is to go against God's order to undo what God has done. What would that look like? And how would it be important for the church to understand uh, the methods of Satan? Then we would not be deceived by them. Chapter 4 opens up Satan's way, how he does things. So as we, as we open up chapter 4, let me say this, the word of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're looking at, the Word of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits. They're real. And, the, and this happens in the last times, and we're going to focus on that in a moment. And they, these people will follow, they'll fall away from the true faith. Uh, it, it'll, be a, it'll look like a faith, but it's a counterfeit faith. They'll turn away from the true faith and they'll follow deceptive spirits. Why? But that's why they're called deceptive. You, you don't know you're doing it. You're, you're being deceived. They'll follow deceptive spirits 
and teachings that come from, you want the hair to go on the back of your neck to stand up? The teachings actually come from demons. They look like they're coming out of people, but they're not coming out of people. There's demonic powers working through the people. They're coming from demons. They're coming from Satan's, those who have joined, attached themselves to Satan's power. They have teachings. They have ways. They have methods. Verse 2, these people that have been deceived, they are hypocrites. They are liars. And their conscience is deceased or dead. Now, I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. What the first thing that catches my attention is the last days this will happen. Oh, if I could communicate this to the church. That on the day of Pentecost, something happened. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection has taken place. It's now 50 days later, and something happens. A prophetic time clock begins to tick. The Jews are going to be, uh, at some point, they're going to be dispersed, and God has set them aside. Um, there's a punishment. We've talked about this here in previous weeks. He has set them aside as a people, and the time of the Gentiles has opened up. The church age has begun. But understand something the church age has a tick-tock, it has an ending, it has a beginning, and it has an ending. And when you read what I'm reading tonight, that in the last days, in the final days, there's going to be demonic spirits. It's in the church age that these demons will operate. They are operating now in the church age. Um, the Holy Spirit, notice the wording in verse 1. The Holy Spirit clearly proclaims them. But do people really believe we're in the countdown to the end? I've always found it interesting that um, I look at the world events. Just look at the world events from this past week. Um, there's elections in Israel that seem to be deadlocked. Our, our political system looks like it's nuts. And uh, the world, if you look at Iran and Syria and Russia and go read Ezekiel 38 and 39, I mean, it looks like it's a fulfillment of the Gog and Magog announcement in the book of Ezekiel. But, but, but here's why I say that. Even... Hollywood, even godless Hollywood, is putting up movies and pictures that all depict a countdown, the apocalypse. There's a coming in. Even, even people who don't believe any of what we're reading tonight know this can't go on forever. Many of them attribute it to climate change. Somehow or another, we'll destroy the climate, and the climate will destroy us. And uh, uh, ignoring what God has said about we're under a time. There's a, there can't be last days unless there's a last day. Wouldn't make any sense. So, in Acts chapter 2, this is when it begins. The clock. Um, the, the, the church begins. So let's go over to Acts 2, and Peter, through the Holy Spirit, says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Now, now my focus is, he's announcing that this series of events 
will happen in the last days. I believe Peter is announcing the last days have just begun. Now, when I say last days, I want you to understand, it's like there's a book, and the book has many chapters, but there will be a last chapter, and in the last chapter, there'll be the last page. Now, I don't know how many pages are in the last chapter, but there will be a last page, and the book will close. He's announcing it. Go to 2 Timothy 3.1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there's going to be very difficult times. Go to Hebrews 1.1. We've talked about this one over and over uh, to understand the, the power of Scripture. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Talking about long ago. We're Old Testament. How did God communicate? But now in these final days, He's going to communicate differently. He has spoken to us through His Son. And God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son He created the universe. One more, 1 Peter 1.20, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you, Jesus, when? In the last days. There's a countdown. What has the Holy Spirit revealed to us in the last days? Because this, this letter of Paul to Timothy, we call it 1 Timothy, is written in the last days. So what has the Holy Spirit revealed to us about the last days? Hypocrites will turn away from true faith. So let's start there. Hypocrites will turn away from true faith. So if you're in the room tonight and you didn't think there's any way possible for anyone to turn away from the true faith, I, I bet you're already struggling with this verse. Because hypocrites are going to turn away from that which once they had held on to. They're going to turn away from a true faith, and, and you don't turn away to neutral. Everybody listen. You don't turn away to neutrality. You don't turn away from the true faith and find yourself, well, I'm really not, I'm an independent now. I'm not a believer. I'm not an unbeliever. I'm an independent. Well, you're just ignorant. You're not independent. If you're not a believer, you're an unbeliever. And they will follow deceptive spirits. And I mentioned a moment ago, do people who are following deceptive spirits know they're following deceptive spirits? No. That's why they're called deceptive spirits. If you knew this spirit was leading you into the, the lake of burning sulfur, you'd turn around and go the other way. Teachings of demons. Who are demons? Who are demons? Little green men? Uh, horns, pitchfork, who are demons? Demons are angels who have joined in the rebellion against God. A lot of mystery involving that. I don't have time to get into that tonight, but uh, Satan was perhaps the highest angel at some point. And he started, for some reason, a rebellion. It's way beyond our ability to understand. But he started this rebellion, and many of the angels obviously joined with him. And they are called demons. It is an angelic, demonic realm. They have teachings. Who has the authority? How many times have you heard me say there's only two spirits? Ultimately, there's two powers at work on the earth. Spiritual powers. The Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit. These demons are operating under the authority of Satan, who is the unholy spirit. But there is a holy spirit operating under the authority of God. But there's only two sources of this authority. 
Yes, there is a Holy Spirit that reveals truth. Notice when Jesus himself describes the work of the Holy Spirit, how does he describe it? He is the revealer of truth. So if you're getting your supply of information from the Holy Spirit, you can count on the fact that it's truth. But yes, there is an unholy spirit that hates that same truth. Jesus says he hates the truth. He has he is a liar and the father of lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. He's a murderer since the beginning. Murderer from the beginning. Who'd he murder? How do you think Adam and Eve died? He murdered them. In essence, let's make it simple. How did Adam and Eve die? A deceiving spirit brought their death. It's the same as murder. He did it. Absent him, absent him, would they have died? No. But they died because of him. That tells you how he operates. These unholy spirits will deceive believers. I want want that to sink in for a moment. Do you know why it's important for you to be in a Bible study? Do you know why it's important for you to understand what the Bible really says, rather than letting some deceptive spirit tell you what it says? These unholy spirits, these teachings of demons will deceive believers and turn them into hypocrites, killing their conscience. Killing their conscience. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Church in America, in an American church, there are many American churches that outright support abortion. Their consciences are dead. The conscience has been murdered. How in the world can you follow Christ and support the killing of the unborn, sacrificing babies on the altar of convenience and and celebrating that. Deceptive spirits killing the conscience. When does this happen? In the last days. Are we in the last days? Well, we've been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. My question is how many pages are left in the book? That's my question. I don't know, by the way, the answer to that. Liars, this this is not my wording, liars without conscience. They don't know the truth. They have no truth in them. Liars without conscience, this is the condition of many in the last days. Paul's telling Timothy, this is coming. It will get worse as we get closer to the last pages. Then Paul gives a specific example of demonic deception. It gives a, he pulls out an, an example. Verse 3, they will say, it is wrong to be married. Anybody see where this one's going? Demonic spirits will attack, example, marriage. Are we, anybody see any relevance? Demonic spirits, deceptive spirits, teachings of demons. They will say it's wrong to be married. That's one example. And number two, it's wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Interesting two examples. Wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. It's almost an interesting two examples. At least to me, it's interesting. The New American Standard says, um, which is way more literal word-by-word translation, says the deceptive spirit will forbid the marriage. Think about our modern culture and marriage today. 
And I want you to think about all of this in context of the first three sessions we've done in Galatians. God establishes a created order. Men, women, church. What's being attacked in chapter 4? Marriage. See, the foundation of the church is actually the family. The family is the church. It's the children of God. There's a created order. So Satan is a deceiver, so he attacks the very foundation of God's order. And in this case, he attacks marriage. So in Hebrews 13, 4, the truth says this, give honor to marriage. But deceptive spirits say, dishonor marriage. Forbid marriage. We don't need marriage. And, and in, let me ask you a question. In the modern American church, how many people are at Nineveh on Sunday who are living together outside of marriage? No, I'm not going to be silent about it. How many are going to live together outside of marriage? It's prevalent in the church. Are there deceptive spirits? You see where it's coming from? It, it creates hypocrisy that you say you live under the truth, but actually you're living under a lie. It's, and it's an hypocrisy that comes from demons. Hebrews, again, 13, 4, give honor to marriage, remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. What is living together outside of marriage? I'll give you an old word that you don't hear anymore, fornication. Sex outside of marriage is called fornication. It comes from deceptive spirits. And, and, and it's one thing that, it, that it's done in secret knowing it's wrong. It's another thing when it's done in the open proclaiming it is acceptable. There comes the deceptive spirit. There comes the hypocrisy. Do you remember God's created order? Satan wants to destroy God's created order, bringing chaos and disorder to the family, to the church. If he can attack the family, he will get the church because the church is just an extension of the family because we're all called the children of God. But what about food? Isn't that, a sense, isn't that an interesting second example? There's an increasing emphasis in our, at least in the American culture, about food these days, about being a vegan or being vegetarian, about whether it's right or whether it's wrong, whether it leads to a, a higher life. Uh, uh, do you understand that after the flood of Noah, before the flood of Noah, a lot of people have this uh, idea, how in the world did Noah get lions and tigers and bears, oh my, on the boat? How did he do it? I mean... Isn't that a dangerous occupation? The Bible says that before the flood, there was no fear of man in the animals. There's no fear. There's, they're not eating each other. You know, the answer to almost every question you can even come up with is in the Scripture. So the animal kingdom and man, they're not at war with each other. They're not eating each other. So to get uh, Simba to come on the boat is not so much trouble. But something happened after the flood. In Genesis 9, verse 1, after the flood, then God blessed Noah and his sons, and he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because the human head count's gone down to eight. Eight. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. On all the animals of the earth, and by the way, 
That would be the ones on the boat, right? Because there's not any animals left. Now, all the animals in the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. That's new. And do you know why that's new? Because we're going to eat them. Do you understand? Before this, I bet the animals really didn't like the flood either. Because we, we, you didn't eat us before the flood. And now you look at us and go, I have placed them in your power. He's looking at, Ad, at Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth and the families and says, I have placed the animals in your power. They, the animals will look on you with fear and terror. They're going to run from you. In fact, if they get a chance, they'll eat you first, some of them. Verse 3, I have given them to you for food. Just as I have given you grains and vegetables. When was the grains and vegetables before the flood? When did the animals become? After the flood. But you must never eat any meat that still have its lifeblood in it. Should Christians eat healthy? Yes. Should we eat well? Should we be conscious of our physical? Should we consider the food we put in our bodies? Of course we should, yes. But can the right diet save you? No. No. You see, it's important that we understand that many of the, the movements on this uh, physical side is an idea that somehow you're going to extend your life. Well, maybe you will. If, if you eat all vegetables and you live another six months, I'll tell you, I'll take a chance. <laughs> I'll take a chance. 1 Corinthians 6.12, okay? Well, after all, if I die, I'm going to go to be with the Lord. So, okay. 1 Corinthians 6.12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything? There's freedom in Christ, right? That's what Paul's saying. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. This is true. Here comes a mystery. Get ready. This is true. What, what's true? Food was made for the stomach. The stomach for food. In other words, God created this digestive system. He created the foods that are going to go into the digestive system of man. Then he says, this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. Food and stomachs. But you, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. In other words, God made food, God made stomach, he made a process. But he never made anything about us for sexual immorality. Everything he made us to be would be confined to a marriage. Sexuality was always by God's design created for a marriage. He contrasts that to a stomach and food. And then he says this, uh, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies, our physical bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. 
our resurrected body. This brings up, that sentence, that little paragraph brings up a question about our resurrected body. What will it be like regarding digestive systems? And the reason I say that, someday God will do away with both of them. Food for the stomach, stomach for food. What will it be like? I don't know. We'll wait and see. They do eat in resurrected bodies. Okay? Jesus ate fish in a resurrected body. Uh, so, something's going to be different in this resurrected body. Notice verse 14. Notice verse 14. It's easy to get caught up on the other ones and just read over it. God will raise us from the dead. So you're going to get a new body. You're going to be raised from the dead. And there's something about this resurrected body that the food for the stomach and the stomach for food, he's going to do away with both of them. I believe that's a reference to he's going to do the way, away with the way they work now. Something's going to be different. What that is, I don't know. So what about food, marriage? What about the truth? Go to verse 4. Since everything God created is good... And the attack of demons was what? On, on family, on marriage, and food. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it. What? And, and what's the two illustrations? Marriage and, and food. The freedom to eat the food that God gave you if you eat it with the right heart. We should not reject any of it, but, um, but receive it with thanks. For we know it, it is made acceptable by the Word of God and prayer. And, and I want to focus on this for a moment. What makes both of those acceptable according to this verse? Marriage, demons say don't do it, forbid it. Food, don't eat it, don't eat certain types of it. But both of them, God's truth says, they're both made acceptable by the Word of God and prayer. What, what would that look like? What would that look like? Why did Jesus pray before they ate? Why did he give thanks before they ate? It's, it's made, it's made um, acceptable in God's sight and to human consumption, food, because you receive it with thanks and prayer. That's why we pray when we eat. And, and uh, that's why a marriage is made acceptable by prayer. Because the covenant, when we do a marriage at the church, we do a marriage covenant in the presence of God. And it's made acceptable because of prayer. Jesus blessed the food before he ate it, before they ate it, and he acknowledged it from a, as a gift uh, from God. Remember when he, when he multiplied the, the bread and the fish? He stopped and he gave thanks to God. In other words, he's making it acceptable. Anything you eat in that regard would be acceptable because you received it with thanks and gave glory to God as the source. Now back to Paul's instruction to Timothy about this spiritual battle. Verse 6. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a worthy servant of Christ, Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith. Now, we just got through talking about food, and now the illustration is that there's a way to be nourished by the message of faith. 
and the good teaching you have followed, to be nourished, to be, to eat, to partake of a message of faith, to consume. You remember in the Old Testament, there are several examples. I actually, uh, some in, I believe in Revelation as well, kind of going off the cuff where, where he says, I, I took the word of God on the scroll and I, and I ate it. And it was sweet and it became bitter. But, it, but what, were they, what were they taking inside them? The word. They were being nourished by the word. And notice what he says here. He says, one who is nourished, if, if, you, if you share these things or explain these things with your brothers and sisters, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ. One who is nourished by the message of faith and good teaching. You're, you're, like, you're like in the Old Testament where they would take the scroll that had the word, and it was symbolic. They were actually taking the scroll inside of them, uh, eating the word so that they're nourished by the word. Verse 7, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly for all believers. Nourished by faith and good teaching. That's the diet we need most. Do you remember the example? Jesus goes and he has this conversation with a Samaritan woman. And he starts going through all this with her. But uh, if you only knew who I was, I'd give you living water. And, but at the end, she runs into town, leaves her water jar, and she goes into town and says, Come and meet the man who knows everything I ever did. you got to meet this guy. Is he the Messiah? Well, when she uh, goes into town, the disciples have gone to get some lunch. And they brought it back to Jesus, who's by himself now at the well. And they said, they tried to get him to eat something. And what's he say? You may remember. He says, I have food to eat that none of you know anything about. What's he eating? My food is to do the work, the will of my Father. There's a supernatural strength that comes from partaking the work of the Father. He made your physical body. He can strengthen your physical body by eating, partaking his will. Jesus hadn't taken physical food in that case, but he wasn't hungry. He had been satisfied physically by completing the work of the Father. Interesting. Don't get distracted. Don't get caught up in meaningless arguments. Let me, let me stop for a moment on that one. I'm going to tell you, that is so important to me personally. Um, it would be really easy to get off on a rabbit trail and, and just debate things that absolutely at the end of the day don't really matter. Or, or choice B, no one knows the answer anyway. You just don't know the answer to. Um, and I could give a lot of examples, and I, you, some of you probably can imagine. I get emails, I get phone calls, I get visits where people say, well, what about this? 
And sometimes it's legitimate and needs to be addressed. Sometimes it's like, oh no, I don't want to talk about that because that has nothing to do with anything we're focusing on here. It's, it's like an old wives tale or some, my, my grandmother said, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's like, I really don't care what your grandmother said. You know what? That's really not relevant to anything that's going on here right now. And it's easy to get distracted. And, and isn't it interesting that Paul writes young Timothy, who's a preacher in the first century church, and he says, well, don't get caught up in meaningless arguments. Why? Because you only get a certain amount of time in the last days and our pages are turning. And I'm really starting to focus more and more. I don't think I have many pages we got left. So I'm really conscious about what kind of discussions we ought to be spending our energy on. But he says this, spiritual discipline. Church, you're exercising spiritual discipline tonight. You have set aside an hour on your Wednesday night to open up the book of Galatians to train yourself in this nourishment that feeds the physical and the spiritual. He says spiritual discipline. Physical discipline lasts for a while. But then guess what? You die anyway. You ate all those vegetables and you're still, you're dead. Okay? What's the point? Run the race to win. And then he says something that, I, again, um, means a lot to me personally. Work hard. He looks at Timothy, and I think he's looking at the church. And he says, work hard. Don't, over, don't overlook the spiritual instruction. Work hard. Why? We are in a spiritual war. There are demons who are deceiving people inside the church. And, and we need to work hard. We need to, we need to understand the, the battle that we're up against. So let's, let's, let's focus on this. Should, okay, let me give you two examples. A lot of people, have, the pendulum swings two directions. One is the idea that, that I work myself to a frenzy and, I, and, and I'm, I'm a physical and mental mess because all I ever do is try to work my way into the kingdom of heaven. That's the pendulum going too far one way. The other one is I'm saved by grace by faith. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I've got a really nice recliner at the house and I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come. See you later. The pendulum swung the other direction, right? I don't need to do anything. Everything's been done. Preacher, it's all been done. Get out. Get out of my life. So let's look. Let's look, okay? Luke 13, a teaching of Jesus. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? <laughs> Does anybody in the room want to know the answer to this one? Okay, it's not 601,728 to 2, okay? It's not just 2. Let me say it again. So he says, work hard. Why does he say that? Work hard to enter the narrow door of God's kingdom. For many will try, but they will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it'll be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will say, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you came from or come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. 
You know what every bit of that began with? Two words. Work hard to enter through a narrow gate. I didn't say it, so don't give me that funny look. He said it. Work hard. You're not saved because you work, because you work hard. You, you work hard because you're saved. And, and Jesus said this, my father is always at work and I too am now working. And, and if he's working and he lives inside of me, I'm working. Okay, is there a time to rest? Yeah, there's a time to rest. There's, there's a time to work. There's a time for us to labor. Let's go to Matthew 25, 26. Jesus is telling a, a parable. And he says, but the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. He's calling the guy lazy. There was a guy who had 10, a guy who had five, and a guy who had one. And, and, and the, the guy who ends up with one, he doesn't do anything with it, right? He, and and Jesus' response to the guy who has one and did nothing. And by the way, it, it's, it, it's referred to commonly as a parable of the talents, which was a, a source of money. But it's not about money. Every, everybody in the room wants you to understand something. Everybody in here, there's probably some five people in here that you got a whole bunch that, that in this parable, one guy got five talents, all right? In other words, he, he loaded you up, each according to his ability. And another one, he, maybe he gets three talents, another one gets two talents. But there's nobody got zero. If you're breathing air, you got one. If, you, if, you, if you're alive today, you got one at least. What are you doing with that which you got? So let's read. Because in the end of the story, they're all called in front of the master to give an account with what they have done with what they'd received, whether it's five or four or three or two or one. But the guy who had one did nothing. You wicked, lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why, did, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered. What's at stake here? Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who had ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, those who do nothing, those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the dark, outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Work hard. One of my favorite sayings, I was watching John Hagee one day, and he said, nothing in your life's going to work until you do. And you know what? There's a whole lot of truth to that. Nothing in your life is going to work until you do. So work hard. Now back to Timothy. Let's focus on these specific instructions. Verse 10. This is why we work hard. This is why we continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Now, now pause for a moment. If it weren't a struggle, if there wasn't an adversary, maybe we wouldn't need to work hard. If it wasn't a war, maybe we wouldn't have to fight every day. But there is a war. There is a battle. There are some that are already being deceived. Many have already been deceived. They're going to be deceived. 
He's trying to deceive me. He's trying to deceive you. So what's the, what's the, 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 what do you do? I fight. I resist. You know what that's called? Hard work. The wind blows what direction? Toward hell. It's hard work to go the other way. I picture, you ever see these hurricanes when they're coming into the coast and uh, the news always does the same thing. I think it's the same picture that is showing it over and over. They always show one, this six lane super highway and, and, and three lanes on one side are all full and the other lanes going toward the coast are always empty. I, I see this as Christianity. There's, there's this lanes that are really wide and they're all leading away from God. And there's this narrow lane that goes toward God. And only a few people are on that road. That's not my analogy. That's his analogy. That's why he said, work hard to enter the narrow door. Is there something wrong with the door? No, there's nothing wrong with the door. You know what's wrong? It's hard work. It's, you got to stand against the resistance, against the flow. The flow's all going the other way. You got to be different to go toward God. It doesn't come natural. It's unnatural. Why? Because I have a sin nature. My sin nature wants to join the crowd and walk away from God under the deception that somehow or another walking away from God will give me life. It won't. Verse 11. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. What things? Here you go. You know what we're doing tonight? That verse. I'm doing verse 11 teach these things and insist everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you, Timothy, because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and purity. Notice the categories. Be an example to believers. And let's just, everyone tonight, take this as a personal challenge, okay? Be an example to all believers in what you say, all right, what comes out of your mouth, the way you live, what comes out of your body, your life, in your love, how you love and how you are loved, your faith, what you believe to be true, and your purity, your application of truth. We're supposed to be an example to other believers in those categories. Verse 13. Until I get there, do something. Oh, I love this part. Until I get there, Timothy, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. Wow. What? That, that's it. Just nourish them with what? Nourish them with this. Focus on reading the scriptures to the church. Encouraging the believers and teaching them. Encourage them. Encourage them tonight. Let me encourage you. Stand strong. On what? On this. Work hard. Knowing it will be a continuous struggle. Teach these things. What? The teachings of the Apostle Paul. The apostolic teachings. The New Testament. Genesis to Revelation. Focus on that. But understanding that you'll never understand Genesis. Uh, you'll never understand Matthew to Revelation until you understand the Old Testament. Don't let anyone look down on youth. Lead by example, not just words. 
Will and I were having a conversation this afternoon. You know, one of the most famous, one of my heroes of Old Testament kings, you know who he is? Josiah. You know why? He became a king when he was just a little boy. And yet, um, the Bible says that when he came of age, um, they, were, they were renovating the Jewish temple and they found a book. <laughs> it's almost laughable. The Jewish people found a book. They found the Torah. They found the Pentateuch. They found the Bible. And they read it. And when they read it in front of King Josiah, he tore his clothes. When, he, when they read it in front of King Josiah, he tore his clothes. And he went outside and he called all Israel together and he started reading. He ordered that they read this book aloud to all the people. And after they read this book aloud to all the people, he went out and he tore down all the pagan shrines. And there's something at the end of Josiah's life. At the end of his life, right before he dies, it says that Josiah celebrated the Passover. And he celebrated the Passover in such a way that nobody since the time of Samuel had ever celebrated the Passover like King Josiah. He celebrated the Passover. I mean, this guy was a, a young king. And what changed his life? They found a book. They found a book. And they read the book to him and everything. And not just his life changed. Everything in his circle changed. Everything in his whole circle. His circle happened to be he's king. So he's got a big circle. So everything in his circle changed. Does that have application for us in this room? Because I found a book too. Same book. Same book. I've had people tell me. <laughs> not so much lately. Actually, um, I've had people tell me, you use too much scripture in your sermons. You think I'm making this up. That's one of the nicer things I've had some people tell me. You, you use too much scripture in your sermons. And to which I usually, I've kind of gotten in the habit of just, I've got a canned answer. Uh, who really cares what I say? But if I read to you what God says... That's a different story, right? Finally, the issue of spiritual gifts. Verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Let me read it again. Just in case you're thinking this only applies to Timothy. Do not neglect the spiritual gifts. Remember I said a minute ago, there was one guy who got a 10, another guy probably got a 4, another guy got a 3, another guy got a 2, another guy got a 1. But nobody got a 0. Nobody got a 0, each according to his ability. Do not neglect the spiritual gift in that, that you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Did anybody in the room get a spiritual gift? Yeah, you did. Everybody. The church is the body of Christ. So I want you to look at a, a, a physical body. The, the head of the body of Christ is Jesus. There's no competition. The head is Jesus. But the body has many parts, right? You got fingers and toes and you got all these different functions and the mouth and ears and eyes and all these parts. But the head that, that makes everything function in unity and concert to create this, this, uh, this, uh, 
the symphony, right? That's what he's doing, a symphony, putting all the pieces together. He's the conductor. God assembles the body and puts all the pieces in the proper place. And let me illustrate that by Nineveh Christian Church. Um, Everybody in Nineveh Christian Church is here because God put you here. I didn't put you here. I don't have a clue how to put you here. Uh, he puts people here. And it's a, it's a pretty interesting group, too. I, I tell people outside of our church that this is a melting pot church. There's people here from every denomination. There's people here from every background. There's Catholic. There's Protestant. There's Baptist. There's Presbyterian. There's Methodist. There's whatever. There's, there's every flavor. We're, we're everything thrown into one pot. And he has assembled this church under the head, which is not me. It's not our elders. The head's Jesus Christ. And everybody needs, this is personal, everybody needs to take your place in the body. And I've told you over the years, the number one question of all the years, 25 years I've been doing this, the number one question I get in ministry is this, how can I know what God wants me to do? with my life. I can't answer that for you. I can't, I can't do it. Quit putting pressure on me asking me the question. That's for you to figure out. That's for you. Just surrender yourself day by day and see where he takes you. Surrender yourself each day and see what he does with you. And here's the reason I go through all that. Colossians 1, 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. You're you're connected to him. He's the head. You're his body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. There's the first rule of the church. He's the head. He's first in everything. But let's go to Acts 2.46. They worship together at the temple each day. This is when the church is first getting started. They, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord did something. The Lord's doing it. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Who's adding to the fellowship? The, the outreach minister? No. Huh? The the pastoral care minister, the senior minister, our calling program. It's when we sent those cookies to that couple. No. Are those good things to do? Yeah, but who adds to the church? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Does this church have every spiritual gift we need to complete the mission of Christ? Yes. I think this church has a mission. I think every thing we need is in our tool belt right now. And if it isn't, it'll be arriving soon. Why? Because it's his church. It's his mission. It's not my church. It's not our church. It's his church. And I want to, I want to, we, we need every member to go to work. Just a challenge for you tonight. We need everybody to be useful in the body. Find your place in the body. So, uh, um, let me give you a, just a mild suggestion. Mild suggestion. 
It all begins with you've got to be willing to deny yourself, take up a cross to follow him. You can't fake any of that. And you're never going to be usable in the church until you get over that hump. You've got to be, you got to be I'm all in, which means um, you've got to die to yourself. But once you cross over that, because quite frankly, that's when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart anyway. But once the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, here's my mild suggestion. Wake up every day. Wake up every day and say, thank you, Lord, that I woke up today. I received this day as a gift from you. And if it's all the same to you, I'd like to give it back to you as an offering. And may today I live for the glory of your name as the proper part of the body of Christ. Memorize the first part of Romans 12. In view of your mercy, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is my act of worship. Just memorize it. And every morning when you wake up. And then if you'll do that by faith, guess whose job it is to get you to the right place at the right time? His. Right? It's his job. That's his job. I think he's okay with that. I think he can handle that. 1 Corinthians 1.4 I always thank my God for you. He's talking to the church. And for the glorious gifts he has given you. He's talking to us. He, I thank God for you. I'm looking at you all. I thank God for you in this group tonight and the glorious gifts he's given you. Some of you still don't know what those are. For the glorious gifts he's given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, through Christ, God has enriched your church in every way. With all your eloquent words and all your knowledge, this confirms that what I told you about Christ was true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is this incredible? That's, that's worthy to put on a poster on the wall, right? Now you have every spiritual gift you need while you wait for the return of our glorious Lord. Now, does that mean while I've got those gifts, I'm going to be idle with those gifts while I wait for his return? You know that's not what that means. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. What? You see, once you die to yourself, once the Holy Spirit comes inside, and once you wake up every day and just say, Lord, may it be to me today as you have said, I surrender this day to your hands. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into a partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And finally, the last two verses of chapter 4. Give your complete attention to these matters. What matters? What I've just read to you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task. Work hard. Throw yourself into this stuff. So that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live. Why? Because there's deceptive spirits and demons out there. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you.
Throw yourself into the mission of Christ in your life. We have everything we need in this church to complete the mission of Christ corporately as one body and individually as parts of the body. Don't wait for him to do something. It's, we've got today, okay? Keep a close watch on your life and your teaching. Stay true to the word of salvation for you and for those around you. Why? Because we live in the last days and Jesus is coming soon. I told y'all a few weeks ago that uh, I got marked on my calendar in big letters. This, uh, the 30th of September is the Feast of Trumpets. I'm not telling you Jesus is coming on the Feast of Trumpets. I'm just saying, I hope he does. And if he were to come on the Feast of Trumpets, if the trumpet sounding as he comes to fulfill that Jewish feast, the first feast of the fall, are you ready? Are you ready? Whatever he, whenever he comes, may he find his bride ready. May he find us not in spiritual adultery. You know what spiritual adultery is? It's unfaithfulness. We could have been in a love relationship with him. And unfaithfulness is idolatry. We were loving somebody else when we could have been in love with him. He says, give your full attention to these things. He's worthy of our full attention. What bride neglects the preparation of her wedding? We are the bride of Christ. The big event in our future is the wedding supper of the Lamb. And for those who really believe this stuff, they will be ready when the wedding begins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've called us. You've given us everything we need to fight the spiritual battle. Yes, there's demons, and yes, there's deceptive spirits, and yes, they are powerful, and there's a war raging in the heavenly realms, but you've given us everything we need. For the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world, and the power belongs to you. And you have moved inside this earthly flesh, inside our individual temples, and you've given the body, the church, everything we need to complete the mission that you have assigned to us while we are in these last days. Now, Father, may the power of the Holy Spirit be manifest individually and corporately in your body. And may we complete our assignments while we wait for our King to come in Jesus' name. And amen. Thank you all for being here tonight.